Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Adele. Welcome to our BFRB podcast. BFRB stands for Body Focused Repetitive Behavior. I have a dermatillomania, which means I scratch at my hands and sometimes it feels like I can't stop myself. I've been experiencing this since I was about uh, 19 or so. And I have trichotillomania, which for me means that I compulsively pull out my hair, my eyelashes, my eyebrows. Um, I've experienced tricks since I was eight years old, and it got a lot worse when I was in my teenage years. This is our first episode ever, and we're so excited that you're listening right now. Um, Our main goal is to support those affected by BFRBs, whether that's you or someone close to you. Um, That can mean a lot of different things, which I guess we'll just try to explore together through this podcast. We want to make it really clear that we're not professionals. We just want to share our lived experience and really foster more conversation around the topic. So here we go. So at this being our first episode, I guess we are uh, feeling it out. But the hope was, you know, each week we'll have a check-in about how our BFRBs are going. And then we'll move on to maybe a topic of the day, or we also have plans for bringing on guests. Maybe it's, and now's a good time as any to begin <laughs> with our BFRBs. Or yeah, uh, the only thing that I would say is that we did record an episode on your podcast, The Piercer. Um, <laughs> so if you would like the background to this podcast um, prior to this new journey um and our <laughs> new name <laughs> you could you are invited to uh, to listen to that episode it's a good summary of a lot of the learnings that that we've had so far and that was such a positive experience that at least for me it, it sort of inspired the desire to keep going and and sort of delve deeper and see what this uh, this platform can do for us okay wow yay yeah. that's so nice yay So how is your BFRB this week, Jason? Yeah, uh, my BFRB this week. It's been good. Um, I think I sort of was mentioning to you, or I I was sort of building towards this the last few times we've met that uh, in general, my BFRB in the last month or so has been the best it's sort of been in the last really maybe eight years. Wow. Um, Yeah, I think... I, I don't know if I can pinpoint one thing exactly. Maybe it's COVID and there's an emphasis on slowness and not being able mm. to do as much as like, you know, not as much running around as I would normally do. Um, there's no commute time, so I can sleep in. You know, I can do my laundry in between work meetings. Right. I think that yeah. uh, really that um, helps me not um, overcommit myself to too much. And mm-hmm. I think that's helped my BFRB. I mean, just continuing on with this group and all the benefits that have come with it and being able to talk about it and just being to share off the cuff with my friends and family, um, my BFRB. So yeah, even this past week, like my mom remarked on my hands, like, Jason, your hands look so good right now. And I'm like, yeah, thanks, mom. Uh... Um, that's so cool (laughs) and it's in a very uh, positive way too I mean Mm -hmm. we've we've talked a bit about how it feels when other people comment on appearance and whether or not we like that but that's really sweet Um, Adele how has your BFRB been this week hasn't been great but and it's funny I was thinking about what I answered last week when you asked me and I'm pretty sure I have not 
changed uh, that much since last week. I feel like I'm getting closer to a, a more balanced state where I can, where my BFRB can affect me a little less, but it's definitely a day-to-day occurrence throughout the day. I mean, for me, uh, the COVID situation has definitely made it worse at times. And so I think it's interesting that for you, it's been actually maybe a more positive force depending on the month. Um, I find it challenging to work from home so much because I have so much time on my own and I've been, and this is a pretty stressful work week as was last week. It's just a stressful work month, I think, where there's a lot of pieces that I'm coordinating that I don't really have a natural way to break down the stress or, or release it with, you know, conversations that I might have in an office setting, just casual ways to interact with people and sort of realize that there's so much beyond what's happening right inside my mind or right on my computer screen. But it's getting better for sure. I mean, compared to last week, I've really worked on delving into my schedule my routine that I put in place last week. And then this week, I'm really feeling the benefits of that and getting back into meditation and working out more and sleeping more and all of that. So sometimes I find my body just takes a few extra days to respond. So while on paper, it looks like everything's going well, or objectively, things should be going well. Sometimes the stress and and just the feeling of being settled takes a little while to actually kick in and then reflect on my BFRB. So that's what I'm hoping anyway. <laughs> so, um, I'm not feeling down about it though. So that's yeah. and okay. We've had this conversation previously about, you know, what's a good day. And and I think most of the days recently have been good day good days in that even though I have been pulling my hair I eventually can stop myself or I at least forgive myself and don't allow for that downward spiral. Mm. Okay, cool. Do you want to um, share more about you, what you shared with me last week, The your new scheduling oh, yeah. strategy? I love this idea. I've been sharing it wherever I can. There was a, a big like university-wide work call where the president was sharing announcements and then they were saying if you have any COVID tips like share them in the chat and so I I read in and wrote this two paragraph description of how to make this calendar a few people liked my comment I hope it was useful to someone I felt I felt like a real keener there Jason I hope you don't it was from a good place I actually think it will help people (laughs) oh my goodness that's nice so um yeah this calendar I'm looking at it right now I got this idea from my friend Dinah actually a long time ago I've been meaning to make this calendar for a year anyways you take a picture frame then on a white piece of paper I drew a seven-day calendar just Monday to Sunday with some time uh just like a title at the top I wrote another great week and then at the bottom I have just a space for weekly goals and then I put that under glass and now I can use whiteboard markers to draw or write on the calendar what I want my routine to be and what I've decided and this is only it's only been two weeks so 
you know, I don't want to oversell the idea yet, but what I'm finding challenging with COVID is thinking long-term. I find it really stressful and overwhelming. So I've been trying to shift to more of a week-by-week intentional planning of what I want my routine to look like. And that way it's not set in stone and I can revisit it every week. But so I might have meditate every evening and it's just written on every day. And then once I meditate, I can erase it off. So by the end of the week, it's just a blank calendar that is ready for new adventures and routines. (laughs) Thank you. I'm pretty proud of it. Plus, I use color coding. So. Extra keener points for color coding. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> cool. But I'm so glad to hear that yours is the best it's been in eight years. I mean, that's pretty fantastic. And also, it's been pretty consistent for the last few weeks. So, I mean, I don't know if I'm overselling it by saying eight years, but that's <laughs> what it feels like. You know, like when you've mm-hmm. been through something so long that you're just... Uh, I, I was having a conversation with a coworker and he was, so he, um, he's Serbian, I believe. And he moved like, I, I'm not a, I, I, to be honest, I don't know the history of Serbia, but my understanding is there was some, there was a bad situation going on. And in this story, he's like, yeah, Jason, like during the war, like in the civil war and there was a lot of violence, but like, I'm just kind of numb to it. Like the, all that time, like I know something happened, but I like, I can't like pick it up. And he's like, the same thing all, almost happens with COVID this year. Like he's like, when I think back on this year and like what's happened, it's like, there's no milestones to like grab onto. It's just like, it's like water. Um, and it's amazing how kind of like the mind forgets about the pain. It's just, hmm numbs itself to it and then so uh, another coworker brought up this idea of like yeah it's almost like um what women say about giving childbirth or like going through childbirth is that like it's a pain so intense that like if you ask them in that moment they're like never again never again but then you know two three years later they're pregnant again and it's like what the heck and it's yeah i mean (laughs) the mind forgets so Mm -hmm. um, focus on other things okay so now that we've done our check-in I and this is a long time coming because we talked about this way back when we recorded that original podcast episode and then right after we were done and I listened to it I realized that there was a huge topic that was missing from that entire episode that I felt terrible about and I kept asking Jason to record a podcast episode so that I could talk about it. So here we are. It's the first episode we're getting to this because it's so important. Um, Support networks. That is something that did not come up in our last conversation. And the reason why I think it's such a big deal that it didn't, and I feel terrible and want to rectify it is because they're, they've, at least for me, they've been so crucial in shaping my experience of my BFRB and providing me with the support I have needed in order to learn and become a lot stronger and and be where I am today with my level of comfort and, and understanding. So I, yeah, I, I guess I just want to set, set the stage <laughs> for this topic, um, knowing that 
you know, depending on people's background, family situation, all sorts of factors, I think we can have very different experiences of support around us. And I think it can be a major factor in how we experience BFRBs. At least that's mm. that's my perception, especially since body-focused repetitive behaviors are quite stigmatized. It's something that if you don't know what it is, you might find it strange or you might not understand it. And then that sort of feeds into this uh, fear for someone who has a BFRB that they don't want to talk about it or bringing it up because they don't want to be judged. And then that makes, or that creates more feelings of isolation, which is sort of a positive feedback loop. And to me, it seems like one of the biggest dangers of, of BFRBs is, is that feeling of isolation. Mm, yeah. Do you want to yeah. um, share more or like detail what your early support group looked like? Yeah. Um, so just for background, I guess we didn't really go over this in much detail, but for me, my BFRB, as you mentioned, Jason, is trichotillomania, and I've had it since I was eight. It started with pulling out my eyelashes, and I honestly don't remember how it started which is kind of strange in and of itself, but, you know, whatever, it was a long time ago, I guess, became very normalized. And from early days, my parents did notice that I was doing it. And I remember there being a lot of questions and concern as is, uh, you know, I'm not surprised that if you see your child doing something that you don't understand, that you would want to do every, everything you can to help, but also feel... Uh, yeah, just feel concerned about it. So uh, from, I did go see a psychologist when I was around eight, maybe nine. I do remember that. So uh, having the opportunity to speak to a professional from so early on, I think has really helped me throughout my life. Then like, I don't think I ever had a moment where I seriously thought that there was something wrong with me and that I was the only one in the world. I think there were moments of that where I felt isolated, but recently, actually a few months ago, I met someone who told me that, um, well, actually she found out about trichotillomania from me. She was in her fifties and she'd had it her entire life. She didn't know what it was and had never really talked to anyone about it before. And so I guess contrasting her experience with mine, I realized how lucky I was that I was exposed to um, a psychologist and then later on several other <laughs> supporters mm -hmm. uh, in terms of understanding what was happening in my own brain. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, and I think I often contrast my experience with yours because I, I felt like my um, dermatillomania first started happening um, maybe in my second year of university. And this was when I was like living away with my parents. And uh, yeah, I mean, they didn't really notice, they didn't comment. I kept it quite hidden from my friends. Um, and frankly, I did think there was something wrong with me. And mm. a lot of that stigma, I, you know, I put on myself, I tried to hide it as much as I could. I didn't want to talk about it. I was afraid of it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, a phrase you used in there was, if there was something seriously wrong, I I kind of thought there was something seriously wrong. Um, mm. 
So, yeah, I mean, it's, it warms my heart that uh, you maybe didn't necessarily feel that uh, early on. So I think, I think that's good. And it's, it's great that your support network enabled you to feel that way because in isolation, definitely that's how I felt. Yeah. 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 And I think it did come, like I did have those feelings, but much more when I was a teenager and it came back. That's what's kind of interesting is that I went through a certain amount of learning when I was a kid and then trick, uh, trick, trichotillomania, <laughs> um, went away and then came back when I was 14 and I moved from France to Canada. And then, I mean, at that point, I think it was mostly just the feelings of being a teenager and being and just feeling self-conscious was heightened by trichotillomania, but I don't think it, yeah, it, I don't think I felt nearly as, as isolated as what you just described, or maybe I'm blocking it out. I'm not sure, but um, I, yeah, that's why I do feel really lucky. Um, how much do you think those feelings contributed to your dermatillomania? Like, do you see a direct relationship between the two? Uh, yeah, I think I do. And I think, I mean, earlier on or in our, in our check-in, when I talked about how, how good my BFRB has been in recent months and like basically how well supported I felt. Um, I think there is a huge connection and that, that stigma, um, like in the early days of my BFRB, um, when I didn't know how to talk about it, I didn't have that vocabulary. I didn't have that support. It it is for sure a um, a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. That I think because of, I feel like a BFRB is so connected with anxiety and stress, and a lot of that like exists within our our own brains and our own minds, and we just fixate on these ideas and we get obsessed with mm-hmm. it and. Um, yeah, not being able to have that sounding board and just talk it out and just some external force to tell me, you know, Jason, like, this is normal? Or I, you know, I, I don't, I think normal and BFRB is, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a challenging conversation. Like, mm. I, I think it is right to normalize it, but at the same time, I think it is also good to, draw attention to it there's like a balance you know like you you need to maintain that touch and um I mean reflecting on my own support network of my parents I think sometimes their normalization of my BFRB is a little hurtful like I think Mm. sometimes they say oh Jason what you're going through is so normal like you don't have to worry about it like at all and then I'm like oh I don't have to, but it's it feels still, like, like I should. I should right? <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I and I've given this feedback to my parents is that, like, I know that you're trying to help me out and like not stress me out by saying it's normal, but saying that it's so normal, but it's still so painful. It, mm. it like. Yeah, I, I I don't think saying it's normal is helpful, um, but I I appreciate the sentiments, but I can only appreciate that sentiment with some distance, right, and some support in other ways. 
if that was mm-hmm. the only support I was getting, I think that would be more damaging than not. Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting. That was um, something that I experienced. I think I don't know if normal was the way to put it, but definitely diminishing the experience. And I think the most hurtful thing that I've heard, like I've never actually had anyone outright criticize me or say anything directly about it, but I have been told by family members that it is just a habit that I need to get over. And this was when I was in those teenage years where it was extra difficult because, you know, I was just trying to figure out what I needed to do. And I remember having some conversations, particularly with my uh, French family, because I lived or I was closer to them at at the time. And yeah, just having, just feeling at a loss for words when, you know, with my grandmother just telling me, you know, it's a habit, it will, it will go away or you like, have you solved your habit yet? (laughs) And not, I guess there was no curiosity about it in those conversations that came later. Eventually she did open up and start to ask me more about how it was going and what the experience was like. But I remember at first it was very much a habit. And I think just saying that is is difficult to hear because it makes it seem like, oh, well, you should just be able to stop. I mean, also, like, habits are pretty hard to change. But, uh, yeah, it, it just doesn't acknowledge the the complexity of of what you're going through. And then it's just really hard to have a conversation because you don't feel heard. At least that was my experience. I didn't feel heard. But at the same time, I feel like looking back, the reason why she was she and other people in my family or my friends have approached it that way is because it makes them feel better about it. Uh, I actually think there was a certain amount of comfort in normalizing it or making it or diminishing it because, you know, this is someone you care about. They're going through something difficult and you're saying, you know, it's just a habit. You'll, you can get over this quickly. And I think it makes the person giving the support or or maybe not exactly the right kind of support but you know it it helps them be optimistic about it so I like see the intention but I don't believe that it was helpful (laughs) right yes yeah Mm, yes that's just such a good point about it's like coping for them a, a, a bit um because you know I think they see their loved one in distress that mm-hmm. causes stress for them, right? So they they also come up with their own ways of managing your like the, the other person's BFRB. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I think it, 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 for the longest time I had challenges talking to my parents about them about my BFRB because I felt like it was that expectation management. I I had to manage their expectations as well. Um, And that was just a lot of extra weight to carry. And I think it was maybe learning through other ways that like, you know, that's not my job and that's not appropriate. And, you know, the, the importance of boundaries and like knowing what, 
I'm responsible for, but also not overstepping what other people are responsible for and not managing other people's expectations or if my BFRB is stressing them out, like, you know, I, I need to do what I need to handle me, but at the same time, I don't need to handle them necessarily. Um, right. And I think mm. for a long time, I was managing my parents' expectations. Mm. And I think that's probably why I had a hard time talking to them about, about it for so long. Right. Um, yeah, it's an additional burden, right, that you're already trying to figure out how you feel about it and and manage yourself yeah I can see that and I guess maybe so maybe again reflecting to my recent months and why my BFRB has been good is there's I have some freedom from that now and I don't need to manage their expectations and I can sort Mm -hmm. of I just like the this the scope of what I do and do not need to manage is clarified. And that's just so much more manageable. Um, And I think it was complicated before and maybe me being a people pleaser or me trying to read people's minds or like, you know, just like constantly trying to be a peacemaker or not uh, inconveniencing other people. I think that was just, again, additional weight that I was, piling onto myself that I didn't need to do like that was their work not my work Um, right so I think yeah I mean that that question of um, support networks and the early stigma that I was putting on myself again I think that was just another unreasonable expectation that I didn't have a sounding board for and Mm. no one because I couldn't communicate it no one could tell me like Jason that's not your job you don't need to like if your parents are stressed out about it, like, you know, they're, they're, they're your parents, like, they'll, they'll figure it out as well, but you have a responsibility to them, to be honest. Um, so that, like, that conversation didn't happen. Um, so it's all, it's all the unpackaging of <laughs> what needs to be done. And um, you were, you've been talking a bit about how, your approach to or your ability maybe to share about your BFRB with friends has changed recently. Do you want to talk a little bit about a bit about that? Because I think that's, I mean, I'm so excited about it and I, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, well, I mean, just the nature of our group now and we meet, you know, once a week, once every two weeks, I can say like, if I'm hanging out with a friend, um, say on a Thursday, they'll be like, oh, Jason, how's your week going? I'll be like, yeah, really good. I met with my friend Adele on Tuesday. Uh, we're part of this BFRB support group. And it's just such a, a good, low stakes way of sharing and being vulnerable and like mm-hmm. talking about maybe it would be a heavy topic, but in a um, yeah, just like non-triggered state. Um, so that's just allowed me to be open about it because I think in the past I was very, I was keeping this like mental checklist of, okay, here are my seven friends. Three of my friends know four of my friends are in the dark. Oh shoot. What if I'm in this situation where I'm in like two friends know one friend doesn't know 
you know, I was like just juggling this, um, uh, like lie basically about who I was. And it was just so exhausting to maintain that act, um, all the time. So now having this group, being able to share, being open, not being ashamed about it, that again, another weight. Oh, great. <laughs> wow. I'm so happy about that. I'm really happy. And you know, when we were planning out the purpose or thinking about the purpose of the podcast, we talked about how if one day this podcast can be that conversation starter, at least for me, that would make me just overjoyed. <laughs> um, because I feel similarly having having a regular meeting or activity and then being able to, I don't want to use the word normalize because we just talked about how that can be harmful, but at least there's almost a bit of legitimacy to it of like, oh yeah, I talked to this other person about this experience I have on a weekly basis and it's no big deal. What well, is, you know, it's our experience and I can share with you if you're interested, but yeah, there's almost a, a certain amount of casual casualness mm. that I think can be really helpful yeah and I compare that to you know being in high school or actually this was middle school grade eight and the first friend that I told who we were really close and I remember it being this huge buildup of I need to tell her and you know, what is she going to think? Is she still going to be my friend? Like there were so many questions around that and, and so much pressure on myself to say it the right way and all that. Um, and that happened quite a few times through high school as well, where I would think, okay, this person is close enough to me that I can reveal this part of who I am, but who knows how they're going to respond. Whereas now I feel like it's more, well, Actually, sometimes I forget to tell people because it's just a day-to-day. And I think I've told them already and then I don't mm. and I haven't and it gets confusing. But most of the time it can be quite a quite a light conversation. If I mm. if it's I think timing is everything though. I think I agree with you that if it's within a context of, you know, I'm not I'm not in a bad state or I'm not particularly feeling the urges or feeling triggered and I'm able to be calm and just bring it up on, of my own accord, <laughs> then it can be a really positive experience. Yeah. Casual BFRB conversation. Casual. Super cash. <laughs> hey, that's the name of our podcast. No. <laughs> if anyone has any ideas of what this should be called, please let us know. Okay. Adele is uh, meditating on it daily. Yeah, um... <laughs> totally. All of my ideas have been very questionable so far. <laughs> Honestly, VR verb for verb, verb is pretty funny. But um... I thought it was really funny. <laughs> I still think it's really funny. BRB, BFRB, verb, verb. And I think the part of the reason that I find that so funny is because my mom, who's a big part of my support network, and I'm so grateful. And it just, it's just really sweet because anytime we talk about, I talk about our group or talk about Trichotillomania, she can never remember the acronym BFRB. And I mean, she has dyslexia and also just acronyms are hard in general. And 
I don't know. It just like to me seems like a play on that. Like there's just so many acronyms and it doesn't the acronyms don't even really matter. It's just about what's what's yeah. inside of them, you know. Wow, that was a deep statement. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so, um we can yeah. We can revisit. I'm I'm not against verb verb. Okay. Like, I, Thank you. I think my mom may be against it because <laughs> she'll never remember. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Okay, we'll have to. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's our naming selection committee. So we'll yes, to, we'll yeah, run it yeah, by her for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably um, one of our top yeah. listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your mom's name again? Cheryl. Cheryl. Thanks, Cheryl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. I I had a point around um, your middle school um, revelations. Okay, revelation. Um, and I'm struggling to remember what that point was. It's something around yeah the the weight of like the the reveal and um, okay. I remember this question. <laughs> okay, we're back on track. We're back on track. Um, do you do you have this feeling in life that if you say the wrong thing, like you're gonna mess up your future? Like, do you put that pressure on yourself? In any, in all situations. Like it could be with a friend, and then you just offhand make a bad joke, and then that friendship is done. <laughs> well, I don't know if I see it as I will mess up my whole life. But I am hypersensitive to how people will respond to the things that I say, especially when I don't know them that well or if there's, I don't know, additional stakes for whatever reason. And in certain situations that I sort of hold back way more than I would want to, whether it's a joke or whether it's, uh, you know, a critique of something or just an honest comment, I definitely hold back. And then I have to work up to it. Yeah. Why um, do you experience that? Like, I do. Um, I, I feel like it's a yes and no. Like, um, in my day-to-day, for the most part, I don't. And I think there, I think with that comes a bit of confidence, like a bit of, um, you know, like armor, just to be like, ah, I, I'm like, so I can move in the world and like make jokes and take risks and be bold. And that's like the version of Jason that I, that I like best. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are for sure those situations. So I mean, reflecting on like say this job interview where I know I'm qualified for the job, but I've said the wrong thing and these people don't know. And I've put all these like high stakes pressure on every word needs to be perfect and or whatever the situation may be. And that's like, oh my goodness, it's going to make or break my future. All these what if scenarios, they like, um, do you know the term 4D chess, four dimensional chess? I can imagine what that refers to. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was, I I mean, I think it's like a video game or like, anyways, it's like already in chess, you're, um, you know, if I move this pawn this way, this is what this future will look like. If I move my bishop this way, this is what that will look like. But then in this video game, they've like incorporated the dimension of time 
where you can like move your pawn backwards in time and it's just Whoa. a huge mess um my gosh. but like it's like too much for a human brain to process but i think sometimes like my brain goes into overdrive and i get into that state where yeah i've uh, just put too much weight everything's too heavy i've taken this too seriously and i just shut down like i um just mm. yeah so i i mean for the most part i think i don't do that but at the same time you know maybe it's on a date maybe it's on a job interview maybe it's on you have these key moments in life where you think you're like it does impact your future in a substantial way and the way you were talking about that first reveal of the bfrb i think it's it's very much built up to be that like i think the first few friends that i was telling it it was that like i need to rehearse i need to open up a google yeah. doc i need to like write this long paragraph of what it is if i say the wrong thing they're gonna think i'm weird they're gonna run away they're gonna not be my friend anymore um i'm jeopardizing this friendship mm -hmm. and i think that's another weight that i was carrying around for a long time yeah i that's a really interesting way to put it i and i think adding on to that it feels or at least i remember feeling like this would be the only chance it's sort of like okay i'm gonna tell them one time and either they're gonna be my friend <laughs> and be okay be okay with it or they're going to never talk to me again or I don't even know what I was imagining like how wrong could it go but I think at least how I experience it now is that most of the time it's not even it's not that big of a conversation and it's revisited it comes up and then over time the people I share with develop a, a deeper understanding of what I'm experiencing it's not really like a one time conversation reveal and I think that goes for a lot of I mean there there are definitely situations in life where it's kind of a oh you know you said this thing and it kind of like oh may not work out anymore I don't know like I'm thinking of some like yeah maybe a, a first date like you don't want to mess up too bad because they could they it's low stakes for them like they can decide whether to see you again <laughs> mm. but I mean also it's low stakes for you too you just met this person so I think mm. I don't know managing my own how much I care about whether it goes well or not also is important have you heard of the term uh, waterfall versus agile yes yes <laughs> but I'm <laughs> trying to remember <laughs> what it means is um is it a business term it's a business term, yes. Okay, because I've heard of agile. I okay, the way that I imagine it <laughs> is that when you're, I'm thinking of workflows. Like you want to be agile, at least in French. Well, doesn't agile mean something in English too? Like you're, like you get straight to where you need to go, and it's very precise. Like that's sort of how I imagine it. In no. Um, I don't necessarily have that connotation, but I think you should continue with your thoughts. <laughs> okay. Um, so you're agile. So you're being very highly efficient, maybe, in getting in the workflow and getting to, like, where you need to go and reducing, mm -hmm. uh, what's the word? Uh, 
redundancy maybe mm. and then yeah i don't know i can see your face it's okay you'll get a better description soon um and then the <laughs> waterfall i would imagine it being more of a you go with the flow or like one thing leads to another and then it leads to a situation mm. whereas the other maybe is more strategic okay that's my right. guess okay <laughs> i mean pretty good pretty good not too bad thank you uh i think like from my perspective i was exposed to this more in so i'm currently like working on an uh, it software project and they talk about agile all the time like agile of this idea of you make the product you put it in the person's hands they test it it breaks you you bring it back to production you 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 know code in a new button you give it to your tester, they push it, it breaks. And it's like a rapid iteration. Like you just make mm. a thousand small prototypes and you break it every single time. And then at the end, it'll be perfect or it'll be the product that you want. Right. Um, but like, it's like a design thinking process almost. Exactly. So you don't have yeah. to, sh you don't just like shoot once and hope you make it. You're like, gent you're like doing a bunch of small shots and uh, knowing that it, they'll go wrong at first and and you're like zeroing in on the end product not hoping you're going to get a hole in one right right um, i'm sort of mixing metaphors so i apologize <laughs> um whereas the, whereas the waterfall method is you're like once you're prototyping you're never going to return to prototype so this better be perfect and like you mm -hmm. you move through in a very linear gated fashion um and some things are more appropriate for waterfall. Some things are more appropriate for agile. So something like a software, um, something that's software based, it, it lends itself to agile because you can just create many iterations all at once. And, and the, the development time is very cheap, right? Um, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just, it's just electricity. Changes. Yeah, yeah. And you just recode it. Whereas if you need to, send the designs out to this wood shop and you're like cutting it and out of marble or whatever i don't know why there's marble <laughs> the wood, wood shop, shop but there you have it um, it's a very um interdisciplinary wood shop. <laughs> um like if, if the thing that you're making is out of marble like you want to do it right the first time because yeah the, even wood like even wood, that's true <laughs> Yeah, yeah, nothing to take away from wood. Um, anyways, this uh, went on longer than I was expecting. But <laughs> <It's> agile. Like, <laughs> what is the connection? <laughs> so agile versus waterfall. I felt like in my mind before oh, the, the the BFRB reveal to my friend was this was like waterfall. waterfall of right. I need to do it right the first time. This is my only chance. It's got to be perfect. Whereas right. know very much what life is if you revisit the conversation over and over and over again until you like together zero in on understanding, right? Um, mm. And I love that. That's a great metaphor. <laughs> it, makes, it all makes sense. It was a long walk. So we got there. <laughs> we circled back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, that um, agile approach to having this conversation is, hey, I want to introduce this topic to you. 
I don't have all the right words. So the points, I'm not going to get it across to you correctly the first time, but this is my intention. Like, let's work together. Um, you let me know what you don't understand. And we'll reiterate can, or we'll, we'll yeah. reiterate. Exactly. Like that's the nature of a conversation versus a planned speech <laughs> that I wrote out on Google Docs of please hold questions to the end. I need to get through my, my Here's prepared. my slideshow. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's amazing how much life is more agile than waterfall, even though I think growing up, I, at least for me, I put a lot of pressure on myself to make it waterfall every time and to be perfect that first time. Um, but I am just so much more an agile person. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, one, I think a certain amount of it is also trusting that through this agile process, you will get to where you need to get, which mm. I don't think I trusted that when I was younger. It was, I mean, I'm also a perfectionist. So the waterfall it makes sense why I would gravitate towards that in terms of, you know, preparing and making sure that whatever I do is going to be the right thing. But then sometimes that hasn't worked out. And actually I remember a few times that not working out and it being devastating because I thought that it was, it was just perfect. Like I'm thinking this is totally unrelated, but like applying for the scholarship in grade 12 and it was like a full scholarship and it's all like, on, based on community and what contributions I had made to the community and all this stuff. And I felt like I had done enough in high school that I would be, that I would receive it. Like, I don't know. I just, and I put so much into the, into the application, so much time, so much expectation. And then uh, that piece, like, yeah, like I didn't get it. I didn't get selected. And I just, I, yeah, I don't actually know if this is a good example because I'm not sure if I could have done it in an agile way, but maybe the agile version would have been like putting my eggs not all in this one basket, mm -hmm. but having like varied expectations and ideas about different ways that I might be able to get a scholarship or just like feel recognized in the work that I was doing. And instead it was this, yeah, I just remember that being an awful day, not getting the scholarship. Oh. And it's just like, but really... Like now I, I feel like I am better at managing expectations and sort of, yeah, spreading out in terms of, oh, I will get to where I need to go eventually. Mm, yeah, yeah I, I like that point you brought up about like trusting yourself because I think, um, yeah, maybe waterfall, the waterfall method is, it's like an expect, or not an expect, it's like you're trying to exercise control. Like I think within Agile, there's a certain amount of chaos. Mm -hmm. of, yeah. I need to put this out into the world before it's ready. Um, yeah. Whereas I think the waterfall is like more conservative, you know, like let me cross all the I's, cross all the T's, dot all the I's. <laughs> um, cross out the I's. <laughs> cross out the I's. Let me cross out the I's. Um, uh, it's a lot and, of behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, that's safer because it's like, it's not in, in the light where other people can like judge you and oh right. yeah that's just so it's a shame because I think honestly you learn so much faster you that that rapid iteration of hey did this work no great okay well back to the drawing board I don't need to prepare six months 
for the next test. I can just test the next day, test the next day, test the next day. Um, and yeah, I mean, I wish I took that approach with communicating my BFRB is just like, hey, you didn't need to, you didn't need to space out so you're only told one person once a year. It's like, honestly, you should be telling somebody every single day. Um, mm -hmm. You're trying it out, seeing what it works. And that's how you practice, right? And like practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, you, yeah, you get that vocabulary. I think um, a point that I raised, um, it was either maybe on a previous episode, but like people gen gen generally ask similar questions. Yeah, um, that's true. So you can sort of, oh, like that's something that they're wondering about. Like I know how to now address that. Um, and I didn't have that fear of, yeah, it's that trusting yourself that will get there eventually. Um, I think Kate, shout out to Kate, our fellow uh, BFRB group member, is um, her saying for the year is start before you're ready. And I think that's mm -hmm. just such a, a good philosophy for life because um, you're never going to be ready. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for so long with my BFRB, I was waiting to be ready. Absolutely. Love it. Yes, <laughs> support networks. So yeah, it's interesting. It's like, it's an interesting combination of how we as the people experiencing this build up our own capacity to interact, to bring it up, to develop a certain level of comfort that I think, at least my experience so far is, has been that if I seem comfortable with the topic, the other person seems more comfortable uh, just because you're setting the stage and you're like, yeah, this is the thing. And it's, doesn't have to be a huge deal like we can talk about it casually and I think that like people mirror each other right and yeah so I think that's one part and then also it's a learning process for the people that we interact with to learn through trial and error what works and what doesn't work when talking about this or when trying to provide support and I think like the normalizing thing that we talked about is one example that yep maybe it wasn't the best way like I don't I think when it comes to a lot of providing support for something that you don't necessarily experience, it can be really daunting because you can be so afraid that you don't want to do anything anymore. Does that make sense? Like you don't, you just choose not to bring it up or you uh, are, yeah, just because you're like afraid to say the wrong thing. At least that's how I feel about some topics where I'm not necessarily really comfortable so then it's like okay I'm not gonna and that seems like a waterfall approach to me where it's like I'm gonna practice in my head until I know exactly the perfect thing I should say to support this person and then I'll say it like on the other end if anyone's listening and they're like oh how you know how do I support or how do I ask questions and I think I mean honestly I feel like the the it's an agile process of, of you try you try the unfinished prototype and then there's a feedback process uh, yeah. as well and then like try to respond to that feedback too because the, and the reason I'm saying that is because I've had people who try to provide support in ways that are really ineffective and even if I try to indicate that it was not helpful they haven't shifted um, mm. and, the, and then that can cause more harm but I'd say like you know it's still worth trying at the, at the start. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. I, I like what you said there about like, 
you know, in the same way that as someone maybe who's the one experiencing the BFRB, there's a lot of pressure for them to, you know, reach out the first time the right way. I think if you're somebody who, you know, is um, maybe a loved one is experiencing a BFRB, like your first reach out also doesn't have to be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it can, that is also a practice skill, especially if, you know, I've never experienced, I've never encountered someone with trichotillomania before. I want to support them, but I'm afraid I don't know how. And mm-hmm. that fear of not knowing how to support that person, that's, I mean, not da- damaging per se, but like there's an opportunity cost there, right? Like all right. that time you have, weren't talking about it, you could have been talking about it. <laughs> um, and yeah. and it's like, a big part of this person's experience of day-to-day life, right? Mm-hmm. Seems worth it. Um, so yeah, it sounds like we're encouraging both parties to just like go out there, get a be little agile. Be, be agile. It'll be uncomfortable, um, but you're not learning anything by not bringing it up. Um, I, I, as as you were talking, I almost thought the conversation would move in a different direction with like the idea of. You know, if you're someone out there who wants to set up your own support network, um, there is like, yeah, taking this agile methodology. We're getting a lot of mileage out of this. Um, Do we need to give credit to someone? Like, is that, a, is that copyright? Yeah, TM, TM, TM. Um, um, whoops. Uh, whoops. Um, don't sue us. Don't sue us, please. Uh, the you can you can have an agile approach to setting up your support network like don't think that oh this first this first oh okay you know don't have someone in mind of like mm, i want to talk to this person about my bfrb the first time has to be perfect it's like you know find ways to you know maybe spread your eggs out <laughs> <laughs> oh i did this <laughs> you know put your eggs in different baskets like maybe pick two or three friends you can practice on them and um it it'll it'll evolve and if you put so much pressure on that first interaction that first time you reach out and it goes poorly um i i would be afraid that that would um discourage you from ever doing it ever again right and that's like the most harmful thing um i think maybe you know allow yourself that space to be this is my first time doing something really scary and just mm-hmm. like being honest about that and saying like, it, like, it's okay if you did a bad job. Like it was your <laughs> first time doing something scary. Like don't blame, don't expect the first time. To Perfection. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to add on to this metaphor one more time um, or this uh, concept with the idea, we haven't really talked much about this, but the idea of, um, like seeking professional help because as I mentioned, I saw a psychologist when I was eight lasted. I don't actually remember how long it lasted. Then it was over. And then when I came to Canada, I started seeing different people when I was 14 uh, or no, actually yeah, 13, 14. And it took me quite a few tries before finding someone who was really a good fit. And I've heard from various friends in the past that, you know, talked to one person was terrible I hated it like 
not for me. I'm never, I don't need a, like, I don't need a counselor. I don't need a therapist. I don't want it. And maybe that's the case for some people. Absolutely. But I would say if you feel the need to have a professional, like, support you through this, sometimes the first person isn't the right one. And I think that's totally fine because um, it's a complex relationship that you're developing with someone. And, you know, I remember one time I was going to Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto uh, to see a psychiatrist at the time. I think I maybe had two appointments because she, she would be eating breakfast while I was talking to her. Like, sure, we had a morning appointment, but still, like, I was a early teenage teenager, needed someone to just listen to me and acknowledge what I was going through. I don't, I don't think she had much experience with trichotillomania, but yeah, that just that vis- visual has stuck with me to this day of like her eating breakfast or putting on hand cream while she was talking to me. And that's just like, I'm so glad that I didn't give up at the time and that I tried to meet different people because um, ultimately I met the wonderful psychotherapist, Allison, who I've, I mean, then it was like a, it was throughout high school and I continued to talk to her via Zoom when I moved to BC. So you know, and I think it can be similar in in personal relationships where maybe there's a lot of trial and error, error but then when you find the people that are going to be there to support you and that will work through it with you, I mean, those are the gems, right? And and it's so worth it. So yeah, I just wanted to add that in there because there's a lot of stigma around seeking help that way. Don't give up. Yeah. Don't give have, up. Have tenacity. Um, Yay. Yeah. Wow, we have so much wisdom and advice. (laughs) But also we're figuring it out too. That's the best part. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, in sort of envisioning the future of our podcast, and Jason, you mentioned this at the beginning, but part of that agile process and the the trial and error that we're recommending (laughs) is we're really hoping to have some of our friends and family and other people who are just wanting to have this conversation with us uh, either on the podcast or we can just chat off uh, offline too. That's totally cool. But we just, yeah, we really care about making it a more approachable conversation. Mm. And yeah. So let us know if you want to be involved. Yeah. Okay. So good. You can probably um, email us or something. Yeah. Do we have an email? Do we have an official? Well, I guess we need the we need a name first, and then the email. <laughs> Just like look for us on Instagram, or oh, I don't think you have Instagram, Jason. Uh, Facebook, or yeah. um, I mean, we'll have a podcast feed, so subscribe to the podcast feed. Yeah, um, and That's then okay. I think you can rename the podcast feed. So okay, good. We can uh, so, our working GBD title may change. <laughs> It's just gonna be a lot of acronyms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Okay, great. Thanks, Adele. Is that is that our episode? Yeah, I think so. Felt pretty good to me. Okay. All right. <laughs> See you next time. See you next time. And clap. Clap. <laughs>